I was glad that Jeff asked us to stand because I was in turmoil there thinking, man, I really want to stand here, but that would be a little odd if I just stood up by myself there. So I don't know if you all would follow me or not. So Jeff, thank you for calling us to stand. That is a just one of my favorite songs. Love it. Absolutely love it. I don't I don't know how old I was when when this happened, but when I was a child, um, there was a, I, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't remember what I did, and in a few moments you'll know why I don't remember much. Um, I, something had happened, I was in the back, and, and I was young enough that my mom was giving me a bath, so that tells you I was pretty young, but I was old enough to be quite defiant and obnoxious, and so I had done something to warrant some punishment, and mom spanked me. When mom spanked me, my response was laughter, and um, I was standing there. I remember standing there naked as a jaybird laughing, and she said, Willie, and immediately, that's my dad, if you don't know, immediately my laughter turned into weeping as I heard the recliner fold down, dad's coming down the hallway, and I don't know if any of your parents were like this, but dad... Uh, As he came down the hallway, he had perfected the uh, removal of the belt that sounded like the helicopter uh, strategy of punishment. And so I hear a helicopter coming down the hallway, and there was about to be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so my rejoicing was quickly turned to trembling in hopes that Dad would remember mercy. And um, unfortunately, Dad did not remember mercy. And and I think that was the last time I ever laughed at, well, I know it was the last time I ever laughed at my mom for disciplining me. It may have been the last spanking I received because it was, uh, from that point on, I was straight and narrow, man, around dad. He, he, he talked to me. Tonight, we turn to the last chapter of Habakkuk. We'll spend uh, the first 15, 16 verses on it tonight, and then uh, Pastor Scott will close us out on that next week as we wrap up our study in Habakkuk. But as we turn to the last chapter the prophet comes before the Lord and, and he makes a similar statement of what I was thinking as a child. God in wrath, remember mercy, or as some translators would interpret, God in, in trembling, in times of trembling, remember mercy. It, it's, a, it's a chapter in which the, the prophet makes a prayer to the Lord. There's no more complaints to be made. God has answered every complaint. And so now he comes before the Lord and offers up a prayer. The first two chapters have stirred his heart and mind, and so he comes before the Lord. Listen to the first two verses of chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is actually a passage of Scripture in many ways that you would expect to find in the Psalms. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But there in the first verse, we see a quite strange word uh, according to Shigianoth. And what this is is some sort of musical reference that indicates a highly emotional style of music, an emotional style of response in in how the prophet is coming before the Lord. So in light of everything that, that God has told him and what he's seen in the first two chapters, he now is gripped with the, an emotional response to what God has done, but not only what he's done, but what he's going to do and the state of his people. Selah, you'll, you'll note that as we read in a few moments, you'll note that three times in chapter 3, the little designation is Selah, Selah, Selah 
is, is given. And, and what this is, this is a musical marker, and, and scholars don't know exactly what this means. You see this a lot in Psalms. They're, they're not exactly uh, certain about the meaning, but, but what we do know is it alludes to that the, the, the purpose of this was for corporate worship. This, this prayer or this song was intended to be read or sung or prayed among God's people. It was something that was not, it was not written by Habakkuk just for himself, but it was written by him for the people of God. It was something that they would come back to time and time and time again as the years go by, as, as God's punishment comes. So the people would come back to this. This is a tradition, and if you, if you flip over, over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, Deuteronomy 31, we see this. In Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 19, listen, listen to what God instructs Moses to do. He says, Now therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Then it shall come about when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify before them as a witness. For it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. So here, what do we see? We see God instructing Moses to write a song. Why does he instruct him to write that song? Why, why does he do that? As, as a testimony. As a testimony, he says, write the song because here's what's going to happen. It, and, and we see God's sovereignty. When he, we see God's omniscience here that he knows all things. He knows the intent of the men. He knows what they were doing, what they were planning, what the intent they're developing, right? He, we see that. And so he says, this is what they're going to do. So I want you to write this song. And when you write this song, it's going to be sung for generations to come. It won't be forgotten. It'll be on their lips and they'll sing it. And as they sing it, they'll come back to what's happened. They'll come back to who I am and what I've done and what they've done and, and what's going on. This song will be meaningful. And so Moses writes the song and taught it to the sons of Israel. It's the same thing going on here. That, that we see the power of songs in the hearts of men, don't we? How many songs do we sing that, that, that grip our hearts? Songs that, that saints of old have written. Hymns that are, that are old hymns, that are classics, that we just love. Why do we love those? Why do we love them? Why, why, do, we, why do we so enjoy it as well? Because there's moments in life when all we can do is sing that old hymn. There, there are moments in life where, where, where the rivers, the, the, the rapids are raging and we're tossed to and fro and we, we don't know if we can make it, but we are able to sing, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. God gives his people songs to remind them of who he is and what he's done. This is why it's important that we sing and we write and we listen to theologically robust songs that are grounded in what God's done. We need songs that recount His handiwork. We need songs that recount His creative power. We need songs that, that remind us of what He's done in salvation. We need songs that recall how He's worked among His people. 
But we need songs that recall his faithfulness. But we need songs that recall his promises because they resonate within us. Because we can return to them. Because when life is shaken, songs have a deep, meaningful place in our hearts. As we go on, I want to make a brief side note here that as we think about this, we we see here in Habakkuk 3 and elsewhere in Scripture, he says it's a prayer of Habakkuk. But as we read this in a moment, I want you to take note, this doesn't really sound like a lot of our prayers. But, but this prayer, along with others, should inform the way we pray. It should inform how we come before the Lord. That, that the way we come before God is more than just a wish list. It's more than, I want this, and, and I want this, and I, I need this. It's, it's more than that. Here we see times where, where there's praise. We see times of reflection and thanksgiving and, and, and thinking back on what God's done. Prayers should be grounded in that. Prayer should be times where we come, we, we declare before God who He is. We praise Him and say, God, we know this is who You are. You are the sovereign God. There's no one like You. And God, You did this. This is, this is how You've worked. And I give You praise for what You've done in the lives of Your people and the history of man to bring about Your plan. So prayers are deeper than sometimes we make them. So this prayer, along with others in Scripture, just as a side note, needs to inform the way we pray. Look here in in verse 2. He says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. I have heard the report about you, and I fear. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think this is a demonstration of weak faith? So so chapter 2, verse 4, what do we find out? What what does the the prophet, what what does God say? The, The righteous will live by his faith. So now, he says, I've heard the report about you, and I fear. So is he showing little faith here? No? You don't think so? So is possible? is it possible then to fear and demonstrate faith at the same time? Sure it is. Sure it is. Who is he fearing here? Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. Here's what I would pose to you tonight, that, that a fear of God is not equal to a lack of faith. I, I would say it's actually the opposite, that a fear of God demonstrates your faith in God. Because a fear of God means you truly believe God is who He says He is. He, you truly believe that, that what God has shown in Scripture is going to come to pass. How, how, could, how could Habakkuk not tremble? I mean, think about what he said in the first two verses or first two chapters. Just think back, if you've been in here. Think back about the the, the woes that have been pronounced on, on not only the Chaldeans, but on God's people. On, on the punishment that's coming. On what God said, this is this is what's going to happen. Here's how I'm gonna punish those who have sinned against me. Here, here's, here's how it's gonna go down. And you will be a witness to this. You need to live by faith. You need to cling to me, but here's what's gonna happen. When, when he speaks that, if he believes it to be true, how could he not tremble? How could he not stand in fear? He, he has to because he knows that what God has led him to speak, what God has led him to write, he knows that's true. He knows God's faithful to keep his word. So he fears, he trembles. He trembles. 
He says, I, I know that. God, I, I've heard the report about you. I've heard the report of your works. Some, some interpreters have, have written or translated. I, I've heard of your works. And I fear. I, I tremble. He knows that. The fear of God is a statement of faith in God. Now, here's a question. Here's a question. Do you ever tremble in fear of what Christ has said will happen at his return? Do, do you ever tremble? Have you ever thought about it? If not, why not? Should we, as believers, should we fear that? Or should we look long for that and rejoice for that? I, I kind of think, honestly, I kind of think there's a little mixture. I, I, I look forward to that. I was talking, and one of my kids uh, the other day said, said, man, Dad, wouldn't it be cool if we were at church and Jesus returned? How cool would that be? Man, that'd be neat. We'd be there with, with our church family, and we'd be sitting there with everybody, and and Jesus would come back, what would that be like, Dad? And I, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. So, so there's definitely that side where, where, where we anticipate it and we, we pray for it, we, we long for it. But at the same time, I have to be honest with you, man, when I think about the picture of, of Revelation 19 when Christ is coming and, and he comes and the armies of heaven are behind him, he's running in or he's riding in on the, on the white stallion with a a sword protruding from his mouth. and I mean, it, it is going to be a time that is unlike any other. And, and I can't help but think that, man, when I see my sovereign Lord, that I will tremble. I will tremble. There, there's, a, there's a mixture there. Here's, here's, here's where I, I do fear, though. Is that according to Scripture, even according to what I preached this morning, Scripture is really clear that those of you in here and, and those of you this morning, or those that, that aren't in here but that are here this morning, that aren't believers, if Christ comes back now or, or tomorrow or a month from now, He comes back, according to Scripture, they are objects of His wrath. And so the question is, do I really believe that? Because if I believe that, if I believe what Scripture says, then then that means that when Christ returns, that they are going to receive the full wrath of God Almighty. That, man, that troubles me. That makes me tremble just out of love for them. Does it not you? Listen, I, I stand here and I'm confident in my salvation. I, I'm confident that, that Christ has taken the penalty of my sin. That He absorbed the wrath of the Father in my place. He died in my place. He was my substitute. I, I'm confident that. I understand that. I, I'll be saved by faith. I, I know in that day that, that as far as the wrath of God, I have nothing to fear. But, but I, I just can't help but think about those who do not know Christ. And, and I tremble for them. I tremble for you, some of you sitting in here tonight. That we've talked about this, and you said, no, I'm just not ready. I tremble for you. I tremble. Because I believe what God says is true. I, I've, I've seen that He's faithful. I've seen He's faithful to, to keep promises as we come before Him in prayer, and He answers those prayers, and He hears the, the, the prayers of His people. I've seen over the years how He's been faithful to honor what He said He would do. I read the testimony of Scripture and I see how, how he answered time and time again. How what he said would happen would happen. 
hundreds of years before it could have possibly been possible. I've seen that. If I see that and I understand that, then I understand that, man, one day Christ is going to return and He's going to return to redeem His people, to save His people. But He's also going to, also going to return to punish those who are outside of Christ. So, so do you stand with the prophet there? Do you hear of how God's, God's worked in the past and, and read of what He's going to do? And, and is there an aspect where you go, wow, I tremble. I'm living by faith, God. I'm living by faith. But yet, God, there, there is a part of me, God, who I just fear for those I love. I fear for those that I sit shoulder to shoulder with in our sanctuary. I fear for them, Lord. He goes on. He says, O Lord, revive your work. This is verse 2. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He makes three requests here. Three requests. The first one, he says, revive your work. He, he, he simply asked God to bring to life the work he foretold. God, God has said in the first two chapters, he said, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to carry out. This is what it's going to look like. And, and the prophet says, man, I, I, I've heard that and I fear. God, do it. God, God, revive your work. Bring it to pass. Bring the judgment on the Chaldeans. Bring it. Bring it, God. Do we ask the same? Do we ask God to come? Do we come before God and say, God, I know it's coming. I know what you foretold, God. I know what, what to anticipate. God, you've been very clear that you're going to come and you're going to come in power. God, come. God, revive your work. Bring it to life. Bring it to life. The second request, he says, make it known. Make it known. It's a simple request. God, display your work for the world to see. Display your splendor. Display your glory. The third request he makes, he says, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. In, in trembling, in times of trembling, remember mercy. How does he do this? I think it's an interesting verse because a lot of times we hear that, that the God of the Old Testament is, is a, a wrathful, angry uh, God of vengeance. He's a God that punishes, but then you get to the New Testament and he's a God of love and grace and, and he doesn't punish and and we know, I think most of you know in here, that that's not right. That's not right. God is God, Old Testament, New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that's wrong. And so we, hear, we have a verse here where the prophet appeals to God's character, and he, he brings both of them in. He says, God, in trembling, in wrath, when you're, when you're enacting your wrath, when you're distributing that and carrying out the punishment that, that, that sinners deserve, when you do that, God, remember mercy. God, remember mercy. Show mercy. God, don't, don't fully fully bring everything we deserve to pass how, how can he do that how, how could it be that that wrath and mercy could coexist is that even possible I, I hope i hope when when i even ask that question that that you instantly go to the cross surely you do if not you need to if someone comes to you and say how can god be be both a, a god of wrath and a god of love or a god of mercy how could that be well, you, you know, you can say, well, listen, God, God is who he is, and he cannot violate his character. So he, he cannot not publish or not punish sin. He, he can't just overlook sin, but he's also a God of, of mercy and grace. So how do we see those? Where, where do we say? We say on the cross that God fully pours out his wrath upon sin. He fully punishes sin. But he 
also fully shows mercy and love and grace. On the cross, we see uh, the coexistence of wrath and mercy. That Christ is the tension that holds the two together. That wrath is displayed and mercy is displayed in the same moment. So I hope you see that, that you come back to the display of the cross. And he speaks of that. He, he speaks as we read on, and starting in verse 3. The prophet speaks of God coming in his glory for the salvation of his people. Read with me, starting in verse 3. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kashan under stress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses or on your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. Selah. You cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you struck the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses, on the surge of many waters. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place, I tremble. Because I must wait patiently for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing. The, the, the prophet looks about and, and speaks of, of God coming in all his glory and, spl and splendor. And as he speaks of this, we, we see how the earth responds. All of creation responds. And he does that. Why? Why does he do it? For the salvation of his people. For the salvation of his people he comes. Now, there's some, there's some debate here on... on well, is, is Habakkuk looking back to how God's acted in the past? Is he, is he looking back to the work of God in the past? Or is he looking forward to what God's going to do? Which one? And there, there's some debate, and there's, there's one of those things you can read different commentaries, and there's legitimate arguments on both, both sides. But I think one commentator, commentator really summed it up good by saying this. He says that a collage, a collecting of many images to convey an impression both of past experience and of future expectation is the medium of the prophet. That, that Habakkuk, he says, listen, there's times where, where we can see that Habakkuk is talking about how God has worked in the past. And we, we come around and see that he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. And this is how God's going to continue to act. We, we see in verse 6, he says, his ways are everlasting. 
His ways are everlasting. What, the way God works in the past is the way He's going to work in the future. Why? Because God is faithful to who He is. He does not change. His ways are everlasting. Now, notice here, look at throughout here, the, the verses, particularly verses 6, 10, and 11. Look at the response of creation. In verse 6, he says, He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and saw the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. Look at verse 10. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Verse 11. Sun and moon stood in their places. And then they went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. You see, when God comes in glory, it has an effect on all of creation. I, I think back of um, uh, Exodus 19. Let's look at that real quick. Look at, you, you can just listen if you want. You don't have to flip over there. But if you want to flip, it's Exodus 19, uh, starting in verse 18. So in Exodus 20, what, what's in Exodus 20? Does anybody know what's in Exodus 20? The, yeah, the giving of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 19 is, is God preparing the people. He, he's talking to Moses, and he tells him, he says, he says, Moses, you need to consecrate the people, and you need to have them set themselves aside for my purposes. I am going to come. I'm going to come down in power, and, and you need to mark boundaries. If they cross those boundaries, they're going to die. I, I'm coming down. I, I'm going to descend. And so in Exodus 19, verse 18, listen to this. Now, I love this picture. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And then we continue on and in the verse or chapter 20 and God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses but listen to what happens see God comes down and all of creation shakes when God's glory descends when God's presence comes then creation trembles the mountains quake can you imagine being there in that moment can you imagine the 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 mountain being consumed in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. is the smoke ascending like the smoke of a furnace. And the mountain quaking, you're standing there at the foot of a mountain. Picture the, whatever mountain you've been to. Picture standing at the foot of that and it being just covered in smoke and fire ascending. It looks like it's a big furnace and everything's shaking. The mountain's quaking. It's quaking. Why? Because God is here. When God moves, creation responds. Think about the crucifixion. How does creation respond when Christ is crucified? Yeah. Wow. The earth shook. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness falls upon the earth. Wow. Could you imagine? Can you imagine? It, it brings the Roman centurion to step back and, and say, Behold, wow, this is surely the Son of God. Because when God moves, when God comes in power, creation responds creation responds we serve a mighty and awesome God who, who works for the salvation of his people verse 13 it says you went forth for the salvation of your people 
for the salvation of your anointed. Why did God go forth for the salvation of his people? Why, why did God move in power? Why did God punish the Chaldeans? Why? For the salvation of his people. God always acts for his glory and our good. He always does that. And when he does, nothing can stand in his way. When God moves, there is nothing that can deter him from accomplishing the salvation of his people. Think about the Egyptians. The mighty, mighty Egyptians enslaved God's people. Ruled over them with an iron fist. No contest for God. What about the, the ruthless and cruel Persians? And they were, they were shown to be weak and incapable to turn back the wrath of God. What about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and all their might? No hope. No hope. They could not stand in opposition to the Lord. And praise God. What about sin and death? Our mighty foe that none of us have power over. None of us can avoid. What about sin and death that shackled man? Death could not defeat him. The grave had no power. The enemy has been defeated. What a glorious thought that that that, that is the most powerful thing, our most powerful foe, death itself, has been defeated by our Lord. When, when God works and He comes and He comes in glory, He works for His glory and for our good to bring about the salvation of His people. Do, do you see that? Do you see that, that His work and salvation is always for His glory? Consider that it's not just for you. It's not just to make you feel good. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. God is active for His glory that, that we sit here tonight. Why do we sit here tonight? To praise His name. To praise His name. To, to worship Him. Why? To give Him glory that is due to Him. For what reason? Because He's, he's made us. But not only is because He's made us, He's saved us. And so we gather to worship Him. We praise His name. Because He is the God that has saved us. We glorify Him. But in glorifying Himself... What did it result in for us? Our good. Our good. God always works for His glory and the good of His people. Why did Christ go forth to the earth? For His glory and our good. Why was He beaten? Why was He rejected? Why was He despised? Why was He mocked? For his glory and our good. For the salvation of his people. And I, I, I was sitting in my desk this week and, and I kept thinking about this. That all that God has done and all that, 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 that Christ did in coming and, and, and working for the salvation of his people. Coming among a people who rejected him and scorned him and beat him and mocked him. Tortured him and killed him. All that he's done. And I, I just kept coming back again. Again, why, why do we have songs? Why do we have songs? Because they bring us back. They resonate within us. They bring us back to remember what God has done. And I just kept coming back to, to this one. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. 
Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Son of God was He. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a Savior lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransom home to bring, then anew His song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We serve a mighty, mighty God. And I hope tonight as we, as we think about what's going on in Habakkuk's time and, and, and all that he's gone through and, 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 and the trials that he's in the midst of, and we come across this song, this prayer, where, where he comes back and he says, he says God, I, I've heard of your works. I've heard what you're going to do. And, and God, I fear. But God, revive your work, even though I know that. God, bring it to life. God, make it known. Display your splendor and your glory. And God, in, in times of trembling, when you're, when you're pouring out your wrath, God, remember mercy. Remember mercy, God, you have done this and then you've acted in such mighty ways. And when you did, God, the whole of creation responded. All of creation trembled and quaked and responded to your power and your might. And God, you have done this for the salvation of your people. Many of you sit in here tonight and you're like me. You know that when Christ returns, He's coming to bring you home. You know what peace with God and the peace of God is. And I hope that you look back and you think about what a glorious Savior we have. What a wonderful, wonderful Lord we serve. That God has worked for His glory and for our good. And I hope that tonight we could shape our prayer around this as we close. That we would say, Lord, bring the work of the cross to life. God, make it known. In your wrath, remember mercy. God, move in a mighty way for the salvation of your people. Let's pray together.